Hello and welcome to Genetically Speaking. In our first season, we delved into the careers of our members within the American Society of Human Genetics. We had great conversations with genetic counselors, researchers, educators, clinicians, and more. We were able to explore their unique journeys and the impact they've made in the world of human genetics and genomics. If this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome and we're glad to have you here. For our repeat listeners, welcome back. I hope you hear something new that stays with you. Thanks for joining us in revisiting Season 1 of Genetically Speaking. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Chris Gunter, your host. And today we're joined by Dr. Amy Lemke, who's at the North Shore University Health System and also has an appointment at the University of Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Not quite as much snow here as in <laughs> Chicago, but, you know, it's a holiday, right? It's, a, it's like a holiday. <laughs> So can you tell us a little about your current work and research and what, you're, what you spend your time on? Sure, sure. Currently, I'm working on looking at the implementation of a number of different kind of genetic testing initiatives at North Shore. And so, for instance, we're conducting an initiative called the DNA 10K. And this is the rollout of genetic testing to, for patients that uh, come to their primary care annual care visit they're offered testing if they agree. So this is preemptive, regardless of family history. Um, and it's also a complimentary offering uh, for these first 10,000 patients. And we've recently completed that offering. And my role is to look at the impact and outcomes for both patients and providers. So my position is program director of outcomes research at North Shore University Health System in personalized medicine. So I work with... Um, you know, a group of um, researchers as well as medical geneticists, genetic counselors, uh, primary care um, to look at what, what does this mean for the individuals who have a key stake in this kind of work. So we've just completed uh, an online survey study with patients and have about 1,600 responses so far from patients to look at various aspects of their experiences in this kind of testing program some of the uh, feelings they had post-results receipt to some of the actions they've taken, um, how they value this, um, what their level of satisfaction was with the process. And we're also going to be following up in about six months. We're also doing a concurrent study. In both of these, I'm the PI of the studies, uh, looking at the primary care physician viewpoint. Mm. So we've conducted 17 qualitative interviews. So I'm a mixed methods researcher and then we just launched an online survey of all of the primary care physicians who participated in this initiative across the health system. So we'll have a mixed methods approach of understanding the depths and the reasons why some of the physicians felt the way they did, as well as we can quantitate the degree to which they felt about certain aspects of the program. That's so cool. I'm going to call you after this because I'm setting up a group to do some similar stuff. Uh, one of the things I'm most interested in is we talk a lot about how important we think genetics and genomics are as human geneticists, because that's what we do. That's probably why we went into the field. But I, I'm curious, when you used to talk about measuring outcomes, are you, well, one of the things that's hardest to measure is whether or not having more information led to behavior change. Are you looking at that question? How are you measuring that? We are, but we're really at the preliminary stages since some of the, um, at least the work that I'm doing was three weeks post results. So really not a lot of time to do some of those potential follow through recommendations. Then we're going to look at six months as well. We did an initial assessment of like a 1K, so of 1,000. And actually I had a poster at ASHG last year describing 
some of the clinical outcomes and some of the actions that the um, participants um, you know, followed through with. But again, that was sort of a, a slice in time. We did a systematic chart review to see what patients had done um, based on what we thought the recommendations would be. Um, depends on the area type, like whether I sought more testing or... You know, they had the kind of surveillance that was recommended. Let's say they were BRCA1 or 2 positive and there are guidelines and recommendations that were made and what did the patient do. So to kind of look along the path, the clinical care pathway and, and what patients did. But that takes time. Yeah. So we're kind of more at the beginning of the launching and the rolling out and looking at if patients decided to do it and kind of the initial kinds of actions. But in terms of longer term, that's you know, the kind of data we're hoping to collect. That's so great. I mean, I think that's what all of us are for looking at. So tell me, I know you have a really interesting background as to how you got mm-hmm. there, and it sounds like this project combines so many of your strengths in your training. Tell us a little bit how, about how you got to where you are now. Sure. So my first formal training was as a genetic counselor. I went to the University of California, Berkeley, and um, had a couple of initial positions that were somewhat non-traditional working in um, for the Illinois Department of Public Health, looking uh, to work with underserved populations and local health departments and, um, you know, working really across the life cycle, I would say, from prenatal to specialty disease clinics uh, to adult kinds of conditions. And then when I was at the University of Chicago, I became very interested and had a lot of questions and I'll have to say another ASHG member, Carol Ober, oh, is now the chair right. yeah. Yeah, at the at University of Chicago. And you really need to go back and get a doctorate to be able to have the research tools to answer right. some of those questions and, you know, to design studies in a way that would be meaningful. And I didn't have those tools. So um, I already had a lot of questions and um, ended up going back to school to get a PhD in public health in community health sciences. And so my dissertation was actually looking at barriers to access to genetic services in underserved populations in a south side Chicago African-American community. So I was really interested in what the methodologies would be in terms of doing that. And that's how I decided to learn both qualitative methods as well as quantitative methods to answer some of those kinds of questions. And I think that's so powerful. I hope that's an approach that will gain more traction as well in human genetics is mixed methods. Research too, there's so much power to be gained. And I was actually formally trained in quantitative methods. And when my committee finally decided to listen to me and what my proposal was, they said, oh, no, your question's actually qualitative. You either have to give up oof, your research question or get retrained. And I actually went back and then got double trained in qualitative research and quantitative because I didn't want to give up my question. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't quite suitable for a quantitative measure when you are doing such formative work in a community that really might not have a lot of background in the topic that you're addressing. So I think, I mean, so obviously now you have superpowers, right? I've <laughs> done all that. So um, there are trainings, I'm sure, people who are listening who are interested in more qualitative training. Where Do you have any suggestions for resources on the how to look at that in human genetics specifically or? So I think it really needs to be a partnership with the training programs that are doing it. So actually, I've just run into this with a number of researchers who've been asking for maybe my time or someone like me. And so I'm actually partnering with schools of public health, trying to identify those resources to be available. There's also um, great uh, training courses. I think UNC has a summer intensive 
for a qualitative research training. So I've actually been putting together resources for individuals who are interested in this. It's just come up for me yeah. uh, at my own institution and other researchers asking for help. So I think it's it's becoming more understood in terms of um, how it can be helpful for certain types of research questions. So I think there are research resources resources out there for qualitative research. And it sounds like a great example of something like computational biology or statistics where it's using a specialized training and applying that to human genetics it'll open so many more doors, right? And and also is some job security, right? It sounds like it sounds like you're in demand, which is a great thing. And again, it depends on if in genetics there's been a lot of new and novel kind of technologies and rollouts. So we don't have standardized tools to ask questions about those. So part of what this does is help develop what the constructs are that we might then want to tap in a quantitative measure, for example. So it, it really does help formulate the future questions. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so great. So what what it sounds like you're doing a lot of really interesting stuff. So what is kind of the most rewarding part of your work right now? I think when I hear patients and providers say to me, what are you going to do with this work, this research? So for example, in some of the physician interviews, at the end of the interviews, they'll say, are you really going to use what we said? Are you really going to feed this back? And some of the most rewarding things actually at North Shore is that the the feedback is given back internally to leadership who then iterates and makes changes. So the voice is being heard. So as a researcher, you want to feel like the work and the information you've spent a year or so gathering and putting together, analyzing very carefully will be used. Yeah. And so maybe at your own institution, at other institutions for more generalizable use. And so I, I am seeing the folding back in of the opinions and the insights that have been brought about by providers, um, patients as well. So even though we may do a quantitative measure, we just did a tool and had maybe 250 open-ended responses from patients talking about what's important to them. So kind of hearing that voice uh, and then being able to take it and bring it back to, let's say, medical genetics or um, the primary care physicians, it becomes an education tool. It becomes you know something very concrete. So to see research turn into something applied, translational, on the ground, and useful is, is very rewarding. And I also imagine you talked about how you're previous work focused on underserved communities, too. I think it sounds like that's a great opportunity for their voices to be heard as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. To have a voice. Yeah. It's so important. So um, it sounds like working with people has been a central theme in everything that you're doing. What got you into genetic counseling in the first place? You said your previous work was in genetic counseling. Sure. I mean, so I was an undergraduate student. I heard a lecture about it. And then I asked my advisor if I could develop an internship and I think I ended up driving like 90-some miles to the Marshfield Clinic in Wisconsin. Oh, wow. Um, and spent time with the genetics team there. And I was so awestruck. And actually, they were doing a lot of work with the um, Amish community. So they actually, you know, carriages would come up in the parking lot. And I actually held some of the babies that came in with genetic conditions. It was a, a lovely group of geneticists and genetic counselors that I learned from, and they gave me a lot of responsibility just as an undergraduate student. I was smitten. So that was the beginning of kind of opening that door and and seeing how compassionate 
um, and and what could be offered to patients who, um, and this is a genetics clinic, had children with genetic conditions. And needed needed your help. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So it sounds like you've also worked with a number of trainees, as you said, along the way. Do you have any tips for trainees who are thinking about how to go? I think one of the themes that has come across in these uh, interviews that we've done for SHG is non-traditional career paths and not to be afraid of that. Mm -hmm. And then it leads you down different ways. Mm -hmm. Is that your experience? And do you have other tips? I, you know, I've, I've been a mentor for different types of trainees from genetic counseling students to medical students to public health students. Um, all around these issues of genomics, genetics, depending on their lens and kind of their background. And I think people have to follow their passion and what drew them to this in the first place. And I, I think that there's many different paths. So when I meet a student, I find out what gets them excited. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully then we're developing a research project around that excitement. And if I listen long enough, I can help them come up with my might be the aim of the project, what might make sense in terms of the research design, and then what's feasible to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the problem. Time and resources that you have. So I really try to listen very carefully about what, what gets them excited, because then you can get through it, Yeah, you know, and, and enjoy it and, and get somewhere. Yeah, that's so great. And that people are lucky to have them enjoy that does that. So tell us a little bit, one of the other themes of this podcast is hearing that people are human outside of work. So tell us about some of the things, the interests that you have outside of work, hobbies. Sure. Well, actually, I, I like to be outside and I live by Lake Michigan. So I do long excursions along the lake, uh, no matter what the season is. So it's um, just very, very beautiful, very peaceful um, but can be February, right? So it's frozen now? It is, but yeah, it's it's fairly pretty. Yeah. Very beautiful. Um, I like to intersect with the arts community and like to pay tribute to local artists and art walks and collecting some of that type of art. Um, I like to play the piano. Um, I like to listen to live music. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, so those kinds of Any favorite bands? We've discussed that in a few interviews. Um. I think it's more of the instruments, so um, like classical guitar, or um, I'm really going to get esoteric here, some French pianists. So people who really are, are masters, and so I'm, I'm a little bit eclectic, yeah. um, but I like the instruments I'm listening to. And and that helps you calm down up here. Yes, but oh, or I can bang hard. Yes. So that, either way, warfa too. And that's yeah, exactly. So, um, what? It, let's talk about the future as well. Where do you? I know you just had a paper out recently, as you mentioned, looking at the primary care physician experiences. I know that it's going to take us quite some time to get what we'd like integrated into Epic and Server and EHRs. I think mm-hmm. we all understand that's a long process. But tell us a little bit about. Um, where you see the future going in terms of the type of work you're doing and getting patients' voices, that feedback included into the clinical experience. So are you saying from the primary care standpoint? Either, either, or the patient standpoint or from the practitioner standpoint. Like what what, what would you like to see happen in the future? Well, I think that there are a lot of rollouts and some very exciting genetic testing programs. And I think that we need to make sure that we have diverse voices. So I think, you know, being able to launch programs happens where you have champions and you have ability. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, Epic may or may not be um, instituted across right different kinds of health systems. So, 
you know, trying to make sure that technologies are available to all populations so that we can reach all types of patient populations, um, hear the benefits and risks to those populations, understand what they know, understand what we need to do to educate. So I think that I'd like to see that broaden, and I'm excited that part of ASHG's mission is to really be all-inclusive, to bring in more diversity. So I think as a researcher, I would love to be involved in those kinds of initiatives and finding out ways to, um, we were just talking about that in our committee, how how to um, work with communities in a respectful manner to to have those partnerships develop in a way that seem um, of benefit. Yeah, that's so important. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Amy Lemke and Dr. Chris Gunnar. Thank you for listening to this ASHG podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Genetically Speaking. Join us again next week for another episode. <music>